Welcome to the New Faces of Democracy podcast, the show featuring ordinary people doing extraordinary things to stand up for our democracy. I'm your host, Nancy Bynum. This podcast celebrates people who have transformed their lives since 2016 and are transforming our political landscape by organizing, running for office, and generally stepping outside of their comfort zones. I hope their stories will inspire you to take action on your own. Head on over to newfacesofdemocracy.org for easy links to subscribe, follow on social media, and to get more inspiration. On this episode, I'm speaking with Samra Brook. Samra is a first-time candidate running for New York State Senate in Rochester. Up until now, her career has been in public service, seeing the impact of government policies on people's lives up close. And now she wants to use that insight on the other side of the table as a lawmaker. Samra talks about finding common ground among the voters in her diverse district, the importance of nurturing political talent in state legislatures, and the effect of COVID-19 on the issues people are facing today. Make sure you listen to the end to hear Samra's advice to women thinking of running for office. Spoiler alert, if that's you, you've already got what it takes. This young woman is a serious rising star, and I promise you, this won't be the last time you'll hear her name. So here is my conversation with Samra Brook. Samra Brook, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, first, I feel like I should mention that we are recording this interview six weeks into the coronavirus shutdown in New York. We'll talk about the pandemic later in the interview, but I just want to ask, how are you doing with all this? I am doing okay. Thank you for asking. It has certainly been a very jolting change on the campaign trail, but right now I think that for many of us, it's a moment to reflect on what we do have. And what I do have is my family that is all nearby and healthy and staying home. And I feel really grateful for that. Yeah, that's true. We have to focus on the things that give us comfort and gratitude right now. I totally agree. So you are a first-time candidate for office, which has got to be pretty exciting, but also pretty intimidating. What made you decide to run for New York State Senate? I would say it's both of those things. Yes, it's very exciting and intimidating. But the truth is, when I look back at the last decade of my career, I really do see that every decision has led me to this. So I've worked with local governments on things like climate change. I've worked in nonprofits with fighting education inequity. I helped start a company to help seniors age in place. It's really that breadth of experience and seeing our most pressing challenges up close and then creating solutions that led me to want to run for public office. And now I see an incredible opportunity to fight for change by being at the table where legislation is written and make sure that we approach these policies by putting people first, right? And recognizing how these decisions are going to affect our working families, our young people, and our seniors. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure that that experience is going to be really helpful to you and really welcome in the legislature because there's not a lot of people who've been on both sides of the table. You told me that you grew up in the Rochester area in the very district in which you're running. My understanding is that it's a surprisingly diverse area, but it still has some staunchly conservative elements. Is that right? I would say yes and no, right? So 
Yes, I was born and raised here in Rochester, New York. At age 10, I actually ended up going to school in a nearby suburb, which is also a part of the district. And my grandparents have been from the rural parts of this district, have been living there for nearly a century. So I do have a very deep understanding of the differing perspectives that are present, urban, suburban, and rural. And in terms of ideologies and values, what I found is, one, because this district is literally a roadmap to my life, I intimately understand a lot of those values and perspectives. So I grew up with uncles and a grandfather who hunted and had a freezer full of venison growing up. And I also, as a child, was in the city of Rochester with an immigrant father from Ethiopia and a mother who was a city school teacher. So it's a very different experience throughout the district. But what I have found is that there are several values that a lot of us hold dear. And I think it is interesting that Western New York has different lived experiences than other parts of the state. I think a lot of the things that we're focused on up here are things like access to healthcare. I talked to both dairy farmers and single mothers who both want access to healthcare and are concerned about those things. And so I think that there's a more that brings us together than divides us. And I think especially right now, it has become clearer the things that we all need to not only be able to survive this time, but to come out the other end, hopefully with a chance to thrive again. So access to healthcare is one issue that you feel like brings all parts of the spectrum together in your district. What are some other areas when you say values that we all hold dear? How can we bridge the divide between all these people? What is it in your district that bridges the divide? Yeah. Well, in addition to healthcare, things like climate change. So my district touches the southern part of Lake Ontario and goes all the way down into the Finger Lakes to Canandaigua Lake. And whether you are someone living in the Finger Lakes and enjoying the beauty and also relying on tourism, or if you're someone with a home near Lake Ontario, you're worried about climate change. You're worried about shifts to renewable energy. You're worried about flooding of Lake Ontario, which is a major issue for some communities here. And so I have found that several groups of folks really can coalesce around the need for a greener economy and staving off those effects of climate change. I also think funding around education. So one of the things that has happened with this current COVID pandemic is that school districts that maybe were not hurting for funding as badly as others now are. And so we're in a position where already before this pandemic hit, The school districts within my Senate district were owed well over $100 million, $100 million in school funding to have fulfilled the foundation aid formula. And now we are looking at even deeper holes in these budgets. And so that is something that whether you're a city school, whether you're a suburban school, or whether you're a school in the more rural areas, that is something that everyone is very concerned about. And, you know, I've been speaking with superintendents, teachers, school board members from all over suburban, urban and rural, and folks are very concerned. And so if they have an opportunity, right, to go as a group, as a coalition with a leader who believes that change comes from building coalition, you all of a sudden start to see how this people power is what can actually drive some change for that. 
Yeah. You talked a little bit about how these issues in education are affected by the pandemic. I mean, how things have gone from bad to worse, in other words. In your opinion, what are the most pressing issues facing New York today? And how have they changed since the onset of the coronavirus epidemic? I think, first of all, I would say that the coronavirus, what it's done is a lot of folks have called it a great equalizer. And in some ways, it has made a circumstance in which individuals or communities that had never felt this kind of pressure or stress are now feeling that kinds of pressure and stress. But the truth is, what it's really done is amplified the fissures that already existed in our social safety nets, right? And so for those who were struggling to pay rent or to pay their mortgage, or to put food on the table before, they are struggling more. And for those who maybe were a step away from struggling are now struggling. And so I think in many ways, all of the things that we knew we needed before, we need more now. We need more funding for health care. We need more funding for education. Our students are going to come out of this not only academically perhaps being behind, but there is an emotional and social toll that these young people are going to be experiencing. And I might be skewed on that because I did study psychology and I'm aware of how much that can affect a young person and their ability to thrive. So I think that those are things that will continue to need attention. But I think a couple things that maybe we hadn't thought of just specifically for coronavirus are one, when it comes to testing. So when we talk about reopening our economy, reopening our business, the city of Rochester and our counties here, we depend on our small businesses. And and I know they're hurting because I've been on the phone with them when they haven't been able to access the PPP funds. And so one of the things that we need to do to help them is to implement a testing protocol to allow us to safely open up our communities again, because nobody wants us to be back in this situation in a few months. And there will be an echo, right, of everything that we're seeing now. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. So I think testing is huge. And the other thing I think that's a very big issue that we need to be discussing is how to protect our democracy right now. In New York State, our presidential primary was just canceled. And I'm hoping that that doesn't stop people from going to vote or do mail-in voting, absentee voting for their local and state races, because there are a number of them, including some congressional districts in New York State. So the other thing I think we really need to focus on is how can we both deal with this now in a primary with improving our mail-in voting processes, and how do we set up, because we know that this is going to be an issue in November. Flu season will tick up again. We don't know what's going to happen with this virus. We likely won't have a vaccine by then. So that's another thing that I really hope we can focus on as a state government because we have the power to at least protect New York State's democracy. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, you know, I remember when Trump was elected and a lot of us started looking to our states to start protecting the rights that we were so concerned about being threatened at the federal level, which turned out to be completely true. I'm also a New Yorker from downstate, but I remember being shocked to discover that New York was not the Democratic stronghold that we thought it was. That was in large part because of this group of, quote, fake Democrats in the Senate that voted with the Republicans, and they kept the legislature in a perpetual state of paralysis and dysfunction. So a lot of us mobilized in 2018 to get that group of Democrats, fake Democrats, known as the IDC, ousted. 
And since then, there's been a ton of progress because we have this new, true democratic state legislature, and they've accomplished a lot. I mean, we've strengthened gun laws and women's rights and enacted climate change protection, protected immigrants and voting rights, and a lot more. So that said, we have more or less flipped the state, and you would be adding to that majority, hopefully. And what do you think the priorities are from here? I mean, we've started the work. Where would you go from here? If you had a magic wand and could get anything passed, what would be on your wish list? I have to say, I like that you said we've started. And I think that that is the key message here. Removing the IDC in 2018, getting a true Democratic majority in the New York State Senate did exactly that. We started on finally putting through some of the shared progressive values that our state holds closely and identifies with. And they passed things like gender to protect our LGBTQ community members. We codified Roe v. Wade, right? These were incredible things that we did. We broadened voting rights, which was incredible, increasing the pool of eligible voters in our state. We did early voting for the first time last year and be able on the front lines volunteering with local campaigns to be a part of the first early voting ever in New York State was incredible. But here's what I want us to remember when we think about New York State leading the charge and leading the way on a lot of these issues. Nearly 40 states had early voting before we did. That is an incredible feat. And to be honest, I was in 2018 working with Stacey Abrams in Georgia And I had never heard of early voting because I'm from New York. (laughs) And so when I went down there, I didn't believe folks when they told me when I was doing Get Out the Vote that they had voted two weeks prior. I couldn't believe that they were able to do that. It was incredible. So it was amazing for New York to have done that. However, we right now in this current crisis, had we been truer leaders on these policies, we wouldn't have to worry about protecting our democracy. We would already have mail-in voting, vote by mail, where every single registered voter gets a ballot for them to vote from their home. And it should also include postage because we don't want any barriers for someone to vote. Other states have enacted that. And we couldn't even get that done during a virus, during a pandemic where it is not safe nor healthy for folks to go out and vote, right? We are getting a broadened absentee ballot, but let's be very clear on what the future could hold. The future could hold everyone gets a ballot to their home to make voting easier. When we talk about workers' rights, let's think about our essential workers. Yes, New York State has some of the strongest worker protections, and yet my brother who is a nurse here locally, I have friends who are essential workers and healthcare workers, and they spent weeks without proper PPE. They still to this day are not following the safest protocols for the use of their PPE because they have to make the best use out of what they have and reuse things that they generally wouldn't be reusing. And so this is when I say the fissures become amplified. It's great to have good workers' rights, but most of my union community members here are now fighting. In some cases, the unions are paying to make sure that some of these folks are getting the care they need because their employers aren't getting it. These are the things that we need to be better at. When we look at disparities in coronavirus, not only who's contracting it, but who's in the ICU and who ultimately is losing their life from this, We see disparities by race. We see disparities by income. We see disparities. You're a homeowner versus a renter and where you live. 
And that is telling me that our healthcare system is not equitable and that people haven't had access to healthcare to deal with some of the chronic issues like diabetes, like asthma, that now are predisposing people to die from an unknown virus. And so this is where I say, like you said, Nancy, we started the work. We started the work and I'm smiling when I say that because it's good and I am proud of what we've done. But to think that it is finished is false. And we have so much more that we need to do. If you had to pick one thing, what would be your number one policy issue when you go to Albany? Right. Or can you even do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can because I think one thing will affect a lot of things because we don't live in siloed lives, right? I think right now the most pressing important thing is to focus on the public health crisis that we have. I think that a lot of the things that we discussed can be ameliorated if we have testing everywhere, if we're meeting people where they are to make sure they can get tested, finding out truly where this virus has been within our communities because we don't know because most people haven't been tested. I think that is the first step and should be closely followed up with ensuring that everyone has access to healthcare so that we're not waiting until you're super sick to go in for urgent care, but how are we helping people with preventative medicine? I think that those two things would have incredible ripple effects when we think about workers being healthier, students being healthier to go to school, teachers being safer to go to school, businesses being okay to open up again without fear, and then just the psychological effects of our communities to feel that safety to be okay going back to movie theaters, to be okay going back to restaurants and help building up our economy again. But I think first and foremost, it's the public health crisis. It's an understatement to say that there's a lot of attention on federal races this year. On the other hand, the coronavirus is waking many people up to the importance of state government, if only to see people like Governor Cuomo or the governors of Jersey and Connecticut and California on TV leading the way to protect their citizens. So what would you say to someone who wants to know other reasons why down-ballot races like yours are just as, if not more important than federal races? I would say I have one answer, 2016. And my answer is 2016 because what we witnessed in 2016 was that we did have a vacuum of a bench of qualified, strong, progressive candidates. And I think that in the two years following 2016, the number one thing I saw people doing, people investing in, was down-ballot races. Because it is likely that our future federal, whether it's Congress, Senate, or President, are going to be at some point on a school board. They're going to be as a county legislator, they're going to be a town supervisor, they're going to be a state legislator, they're going to be a governor, right? We know that. And so one of our recent presidents was a state senator. That's how we started. And that is where we need to be cultivating talent. That's where we need to be cultivating strong leaders who can lead our party and our group of shared values. And I think that at this point, it can be great to congratulate ourselves 2018 was huge. I was proud to be a part of it. You were a part of it, Nancy, in getting state legislators flipped and growing down ballot. There's amazing organizations that have done work with it. I've worked with many of them. But again, I say we started. We did not finish. And so 
we need to learn from our counterparts in, say, the Tea Party. And wherever you stand politically, you have to admit they did an artful job of building influence through local and state races. And we, as progressives, will be living with the fallout of that for decades for some of the appointments that have been made through that kind of strategy. And so we cannot lose sight of the fact that this is a long haul shift. It does not happen in two years or four years. And I strongly, strongly believe in the importance of these local and state races, because if we do not invest in them, we will be right back here on a federal level in four to eight years. And the one thing I'll add as a little plug is that they're also usually cheaper races. So your dollars go five times, six times as far. If you donate $2,800 to a presidential candidate, it does a lot less than if you went donate $2,800 to, say, the Democratic candidate in the New York State Senate 55th District. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree. And some people think that the only races worth focusing on are the House and the Senate and obviously the White House. And sure, they're all extremely important, but just as important are people like you running for state office who will have an impact on our day-to-day lives. You know, states are the ones who make the laws that really impact us. How has this experience of running for office changed you? The change has probably been so subtle, I haven't noticed. I think that for the most part, it's probably just made me more of who I am because, you know, when you're running for office, you're putting something out there. You're putting an idea out there that you believe people share your values. You believe this thing percolating in your head is going to resonate with people. And when it does, you don't want to change because clearly something has resonated. Now, where that maybe adjusted is when you learn more, right? And when you are able to connect and listen to people who you seek to represent, that can adjust and recontextualize the way you think about things or the way you share information. And I think that that has been an incredible opportunity. I just, I feel so lucky every time I get to call folks and just listen to their experience. I mean, it's invaluable. And so, so I've been grateful for that. And I think just on a tactical, how has it changed me? I love the mantra progress over perfection because professionally I thrive on my attention to detail. I'm meticulous at answering all my emails. Nothing goes unanswered. It's inbox zero every Friday. And those days are just gone. I've had to learn to delegate and trust a team who I'm so lucky to have and learned really that in campaigning, it's the need to keep moving and to keep showing up. And having kept showing up, and as I keep moving along, I actually have realized how few people do that. And so if you can just show up in a room, show up on a call, call someone, listen, that's half the work. A lot of times people will tell you what they need, but you have to be able to listen. So I've just, you know, maybe I already knew that, but it's just been something that has been solidified for me. What would your advice be for other people, particularly women who are considering running for office, but are nervous about it, don't feel maybe qualified or don't have the experience of being in politics before? I would tell them, and I have told them, I've told this to many women, many women of color, whoever you are and whatever you have done until this point is the perfect experience for running for office. There is no magic wand. There is no secret handbook. Everyone is figuring it out as they go. And 
it has never been more apparent to me that your lived experiences that differ from the people who are creating your laws presently are the strength that you bring. And I can even solidify that more with an actual experience I had where I was talking to a group of women business owners here in our district. And a few of them just blatantly said, you can tell that the folks that put this PPP program together have never owned a small business. And that stuck with me because guess what? I personally have not run my own small business. And I understand that. So what do I do? I seek out hundreds of small business owners to understand that perspective and listen to that perspective to let it affect the way and inform the way I would consider a policy. And so I just encourage anyone, if you don't see yourself up on that stage, if you don't see yourself represented in those chambers, it means you need to be there because no one else has a voice like yours. And instead of thinking that you don't belong there because there's no one that looks like you, it's exactly why you need to be there. And if they still aren't convinced, tell them to call me because (laughs) I think we need more women running for office. Well, I love that. And I think that's actually a perfect way to wrap this up. So Samra, what should our listeners do if they are interested in supporting you? Listeners can go to our website, samraforsenate.com. It's S-A-M-R-A for Senate spelled out.com. You can learn about our platform there. You can sign up to get our emails. You can look at our social media and you can donate. Great. Well, Samra Brook, thank you so much for joining me and I wish you the best of luck in your campaign. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. New Faces of Democracy is created and produced by me, Nancy Bynum. And in addition to being the host, I'm also the CEO, the CFO, and the administrative assistant. If you enjoyed this episode, please help New Faces of Democracy grow by subscribing on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're looking for more inspiration, check out my other profiles at newfacesofdemocracy.org and follow New Faces of Democracy on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.